Welcome to episode three of the official International Rugby League podcast brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. I'm your host, Michael Carboni, and on this episode, I caught up with England wheelchair hero and Rugby League World Cup 2021 ambassador James Simpson at the Wollongong Test. Uh, later on, I chat with Rugby League Grobe Trotter Ashton Sims, but first, I discuss the International Rugby League weekend that was with 4020 Magazine's Phil Kaplan. All right, I've got the man, Phil Kaplan, on the line. And uh, Phil, how are you, buddy? All good, all good. The sun is shining in the Northern Hemisphere and that means it isn't raining, so that's all we can ask for. Absolute rarity over there, but I'm sure it's fantastic. The sun's not shining on the Great Britain Lions after after the weekend they've had. And we've had a lot of international matches this weekend. It's been fantastic. I'm sure you agree with that. And um, Phil, my plan is really just to go through each of the results with you and maybe you and I can go back and forth about some of the big issues from each of those results. What do you think? Absolutely. I think the the thing to say is this is a wonderful time of year. We're approaching Halloween and fireworks night and Christmas and people get very giddy. And uh, for me, it's because it's International Rugby League time. And uh, I don't think there's anything better than the breadth of games that we've seen uh, over this weekend and, and, and over previous weekends in the last couple of years. It's It gladdens the heart if you're an evangelist like we are. Well, you're right. We've had an absolute smorgasbord of rugby league, of international rugby league, which is quite rare. Um, and hopefully, I know it's going to continue for the next couple of weeks at least and hopefully it's the start of something special in the years to come so let's get started so friday night my time friday morning your time phil the kangaroos absolutely dominated down in wollongong uh, whether it be juniors women's or men's rugby league so the first game the junior kangaroos 62 defeated france four what were your big takeaways from that one I think it, it is very important about what we call teams. And whilst there is an issue about, obviously, it doesn't show the French rugby league in great light, I'm not sure this is the junior kangaroos. And I think that gives a, a wrong impression to those that perhaps don't appreciate the quality of the team that was selected wearing the green and gold. There's got to be a better name. For me, junior kangaroos is a bit like the Australian schoolboys when they tore over here. And, and it clearly wasn't that. It was an extremely talented squad. It was emerging kangaroos, if, you know, if that's a better name but a lot of players who are in the peak of their form have played some great rugby league domestically this season against a French team that really wasn't actually France I mean we you know should have been a French Invitational 13 if we're being honest because I think up to 14 of their top players were either unavailable unselected or weren't part of this tour so I'm not sure it shows the two respective teams in the right light that said uh, there clearly is a huge gap at the moment between what's happening in the domestic French game and uh, maybe the second or third tier of the NRL. So, yes, not a great look for France. Their game in parks coming up is probably going to be more representative of where they are at the moment. I'm, I'm not sure what they get out of this other than the fact that I always think you should try and play internationals above your standard if you're going to get better. But if you're going to take on you know, Australia's best young talent, if we call it that, um, we could have called it the Prime Minister's 13 again. And, and, and rolled Scott Morrison out as the water boy again. <laughs> How good then was he? What we, what we really should be doing is is actually putting this in some kind of a context. And the French are struggling at the moment in terms of, I think, as, as there always is, a domestic disagreement between Catalan Dragons and their release of players and also the uh, the French Federation. I think that was illustrated by Jason Battieri, their captain coming out of the nines and then saying, I don't want to play for the team anymore because I'm not happy with the administration and the way that it's going. And, and I think that's the issue that the French are dealing with. For their coach, Aurelien Colony, it must be incredibly frustrating to come up against such a quality, committed Australian team who are looking for opportunities. I mean, 
the wider issue about Australia at the moment is it's in transition. There are places available in the full Kangaroos team. So these you know youngsters who have got the opportunity to pull on the shirt. Now David Fafita showed in the nines what a what arguably the best teenager in the world and and possibly could go on to be the next Sonny Bill Williams. I, I hate putting labels on people when they're young, but it looks like he could do anything. And to be playing against players from the domestic French league, we aren't pairing like we like. When you're saying best teenager, you're forgetting guys like Payne Haas as well. There's some absolute weapons going around. I know he didn't play juniors, but there's some great talent um, in Australia at the moment coming through the ranks. This junior Kangaroos team, you know, there's two of them that will be playing for the the, the Australian Kangaroos this weekend. So it's definitely not a junior side, mm-hmm. like you said. I think this would have been much better if it was, you know, Australia A versus the, the President's 13 of France or something like that. Um, it wouldn't have changed the scoreline, yes. but it certainly would have been a little bit more respectable um, because people would have... Well, like, I was in Wollongong on the day and just listening to a lot of the fans around me talking about that match, for them it was like, oh, yeah, France, I've got nothing. They, they don't understand the the trials and tribulations going on between Catalan and the French um, Federation. Can, can you tell us a little, can you shed some light on that? Because, over uh, you know, probably about half of our listeners are from Australia and most of them wouldn't really know what's going on over there. Why, why aren't the best French players playing for France? at the moment? It's a difficult one because it's a historic thing. There is politics involved. I think the problem that we have is that when Catalan were admitted to the Super League, the idea was that that would automatically improve the standard of the French team. What that forgot was that that means that the Catalan's players have got to play an entire season of over 30 games and then be fresh enough to play international rugby league. And they can't really provide all of the players for the French national team. It's, It's beholden upon the likes of the domestic game, Toulouse who are, are making some strides in that direction to also provide players for the French team so when Catalans have finished their season and, and bear in mind as well that they've got players like Sam Tompkins in the England 9 squad so they're providing players virtually all of their entire squad is up for selection some of that squad is going to be injured some of them they need to preserve for next season there's always politics between Bernard Guash who is the owner of Catalan and influence over the French Federation there's issues with the French Federation having a dislocation with the French elite teams. They're always trying to change the system and the structure. And there's an element of distrust. And I think the problem as well over in France is that you talk about how obviously Australian fans don't really understand what's happening in France and are very dismissive of it on a result like that. The issue I think for the French is that they are trying to garner more media space over you know, at home and newspapers like Le Keep will see this as a, as a stick to bash rugby league with. Mm. So we've, we've really got to be very careful about the image and the impression that it shows that there is a huge disparity in standard between the domestic French league which is known as the Elite League and Super League. Toulouse have found that it's, it's not easy to find enough French players of quality to make you competitive at the elite level. So it, it is a little bit like asking Sunshine Coast to provide players for Australia and then expecting them to be competitive against a, a nation like Tonga. So there are lots of issues about how we raise the standard of the domestic French rugby league. And one of the issues, obviously, international rugby league is our topic, is the French national team don't play regularly enough. Yep. Um, they don't play England enough. And, and I think they're only going to improve if they play England on a regular basis. And the games in France are extremely well supported and very competitive. English or British teams travelling over to France find it much more difficult than playing them at home. 
but there isn't a regular date in the calendar. So you've got the Anzac test where the Kiwis are going through some kind of a transition. They know they can benchmark themselves against the Aussies at least a couple of times a year. Mm. And they've got a lot of their players playing in the NRL competition. So they know that there's a level of intensity they've got to reach. The French don't really have that, but they are the logical opposition in the Northern Hemisphere to be brought up to speed, to give us the nearest we could get in the Northern Hemisphere to a state of origin. We're not going to have two state teams. That doesn't really exist over here anymore. What we could have is a series between England and France if we could get France up to that level. And there doesn't seem to be a will to do that at the moment. Why is that? Because it just makes so much sense. We're seeing, you know, all the Pacific nations really starting to grow. Like Tonga just beat Great Britain. Uh, Fiji and Samoa are not too far behind. Papua New Guinea's there as well. We know how good Australia are and how good the Kiwis are. Um, Is England being left behind by not, you know, harnessing, I guess, a a relationship and a competitive spirit against France and nations like that so close to home? 100%. And I think that's why the bulk of the England or Great Britain team uh, now comes from players that play in the NRL because that's how the Southern Hemisphere sides have raised their standards. So, you know, a PNG having a a Hunters team in the Queensland competition, uh, Fiji hopefully will now start that journey in in the New South Wales competition. That immediately raises aspirations of domestic-based players. Uh, I think the fact that we've got so many of the great Tongan players are the lead uh, ones in the NRL. It's a level of intensity. There's a whole debate to be had about the standard of Super League and obviously where French teams would fit into that. We don't have a competition whereby genuinely any team can be any other on a, any given day. We would like to get to that, but we're not there yet. And the evidence for that is the fact that only four teams have won the Super League in the 23 years it's been yeah. in existence, whereas you've had the Roosters this year that have been the first for almost the same amount of time that have managed to retain a title. Well, that tells me that the start of any season, any NRL team can have an aspiration to make the semi-finals, if not win the competition. We don't have that here. And until we do, and until the French are involved in that, and personally until we have two French teams in Super League, I don't think you're going to see that raising overall standard that you need for the French team to be competitive on a week-to-week basis, which will then make them more of an international force. There's definitely a lot of work to be done over there, and we could probably talk about that for the rest of this interview or this discussion but we've got, there's some other there's some other matches that we need to get through so maybe another time but the next game in Wollongong was between the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Ferns and the Jillaroos of course they got some revenge after the Downer World Cup uh, nines uh, loss to the Kiwis. They won 28 to 8. How did you see that? I mean, from an English perspective, I know a lot of the um, English Super League uh, women came across thinking that they were going to be very competitive at the nines, for example. But I think the level and standard that the Jillaroos and the Kiwi Therns were at have absolutely sort of shocked and surprised them. How does it look on your end? It looks sensational. One of the great assets of the game over here at the moment is the Women's Super League. It's only been in existence for two years. In some respects, we're rewriting history there because we've had the women's game for a lot longer than that. But this is the first time it's had Super League names attached to it. And there's been four or five teams here where uh, facilities have been open to the women and you can see the standard raising really rapidly. So I I think we've got maybe four teams that when they meet each other, there's a fantastic spectacle. It's a great standard and they will form the core of the English women's team. What we don't have, and we've done it slightly differently over here, is you've got scarcity value. Um, You don't play many games. You've only got four teams. It's a very tight and intense domestic season. It leads into a grand final. 
and that is now being shown in the international arena. There's an element of payment as well that we don't have over here yet. And I think that you've gone on leaps and bounds with the women's game and that particular one on Friday morning our time was sensational to watch its skill level is astonishing and the speed of it was magnificent the collisions were superb I think the silver ferns kiwi ferns had something like was it seven or eight sets on the Gillaroos line very early in the game and couldn't break them down you know that's as good a defensive performance as you'll see all year so every aspect of the game is covered but I think it's because there is a real I think excellence is key in the women's game over there and you're trying to build something slowly that is around all of getting the best out of the resources you've got. We tend to spread jam a little thinner over here. But I think the going back to the nines, the, the England performances were better than the 2017 World Cup where yep. uh, you'll remember that England lost to the Cook Islands. They never looked like losing to the PNG Orchids. I think there is, a, there is a greater level of fitness and professionalism among the English women at the moment and that will only increase. There's a story emerging from here at the moment that Courtney Hill, who is the woman of steel for 2019 here, was the captain of the, the double winning team over here, is looking to play in the women's NRL next year all of that kind of thing will only help improve the standard and will offer opportunities to the women that the world cup have announced today that they've changed the women's schedule so that there's going to be greater gaps between games to allow for more preparation uh, more recovery time that can only be good that the women's game is an absolute shining light over here it's bringing in a different audience it started to bring in television coverage people are taking notice of it and, and I just think that you've got to aspire to something and, and the game between the Gillaroos and the Ferns is what we need to aspire to. It's going to take a while to get there. Uh, I don't think we'll get there by the 2021 World Cup, but what I think we will find is that a lot of people will be interested in seeing these games over here in 18 months' time. Mate, you have to be careful saying that the women from over there need to come and play in the NRLW. You're beginning to sound a bit like Wayne Bennett. But, um, mate, I, I, do, I, do, I do agree. The standard's incredibly high and it's because of the scarcity. There was a try in that game for anyone that didn't watch and Ali Brigginshaw, the halfback for Australia, chip over the top from a scrum, bounces perfectly for Jess Sergis, who was our Dally M Women's Player of the Year, steaming onto the ball at pace, cracking try, and it's as good a good a try as you would have seen in any of the men's games. So the, the product is fantastic. The girls hit. See, I, I think that's interesting that one thing you said there is what, and it's no implied criticism because we all do it. Yeah. We've got to stop comparing it to the men's game. Yeah, 100%. I agree. The women's game is an exceptional product in its own right. We were talking about this the other day because obviously we've had a, an exceptional Challenge Cup final and, and a riveting grand final was between the same two teams. You couldn't take your eyes off it. It was close until the very end. We didn't know who was going to win. But I think what we've been saying, watching a lot of women's rugby league over the last two years, is that it's almost a throwback in many ways. Yeah. It doesn't concentrate on the wrestle. There's more space. Skills are prized a little. You know, Ali Brigginshaw, I know Jess Sergis, it looked absolutely amazing and, and will have deserved her Dalian Moore. But for us, who don't see your games on a regular basis Ali Brigginshaw is the epitome of the skilled rugby league player she has absolutely everything in her game she has time uh, she has a pass to either side long or short a kicking game and she knows when to go herself she is the epitome of the perfect standoff half but I just think watching the women's game for me is almost like watching the rugby league that I grew up with in the 70s and 80s and I love it for that alone and, and I don't particularly ever want to compare it to the men's game I think that's a completely different product which is enjoyable absolutely in its own right but all the people that try and compare 
and it's not a criticism because we all do it. This is not the men's game. This is um, something that should be celebrated in its own right. You've hit the nail on the head. It is a completely different product. Still rugby league, but you know there were, there were a couple of teenage boys sitting near me uh, during that game, and they said, "Oh, the, the women's game's awesome. This is the first time I've really seen it." But it, it is it is a real eye opener. Just the brand and the style is fantastic, and we've, we've been saying it here as well. Like we do need to separate it because um, I don't know if you heard this one, but during Women's State of Origin this year, it was pl- it wasn't played over in Perth as a curtain raiser to the men's game. They played it at North Sydney Oval the night before, and there yes. were a few people came out like former players like Willie Mason and said, why is this game played separate? It should be a curtain raiser. The women should be on the biggest stage. But I believe it sh- they like kind of like what you said, they they deserve their own stage. And only when they do yes. have that, are they going to be able to generate their own income, more money for the women's side of the game, uh, bigger wages for, for more ladies to be able to play full time, you know, quit their day jobs and play rugby league, just like the guys get a chance to. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that. The, the TV figures for women's rugby league over here are absolutely phenomenal. Um, and and it, it would it would blow your mind just to hear it. But it's incredible and it's going to continue to grow. Over here, the talk now is how do we expand the competition from four teams? Do we simply yes. take a, a small step, for example? Do we go home and away? next year and and keep the number of teams people are are talking about do we grow beyond the nrl clubs and say well why can't we have a women's team in papua new guinea in this nrlw or why can't we have another team in new zealand or a team in perth for example so we're starting to get really creative and i think it's definitely one of the more exciting parts of our growing game it's the great growth area and it's not just more women and girls are coming in and and wanting to try out the game i think i've noticed particularly that it, it brings in a very very different audience and it's not just that it brings in women and young girls it brings women bringing men to the game it brings a different feel around the support as well I think we're extremely partisan when we go and see games there's a lot of history between the teams that the men's game throw up and and I think that we've seen over here that there is an issue sometimes with crowd behaviour uh, about what's acceptable and what isn't and and it's something that we've swept under the carpet a little bit you'll no doubt have read that the fines have now been issued to the Catalan and Warrington clubs for yeah. incidents that happened in, in a match there a, a couple of months ago it's completely not acceptable but something that we haven't taken enough notice of that has crept into the it's, it's not a rugby league thing it's a societal thing none of that happens at the women's game that I can tell at the moment it's a different way of supporting teams and all that they bring a new audience new sponsors we found as well that alongside the women's game we're developing like you are over there PDRL and LDRL physical disability and and learning disability and again it brings in a completely different sponsorship and corporate view of the all-inclusive nature of the sport and that's where I think that our growth areas are and and internationally it's absolutely vital that the 2021 World Cup will have a women's tournament and a wheelchair tournament run alongside the men's and there isn't we aren't saying they're off shoots of there are three columns to that World Cup and they are all equal and that's what we've got to move towards I think the the interesting dilemma you've got is as you say how many teams how often do the women play we went the other way and we started with sort of eight teams and we've already found that there is a disparity in standard and uh, you've got to be very careful that you don't dilute excellence merely by just having a lot of teams that happen to play in the same league. Definitely. And the final game on that Friday night was, of course, the Australian Kangaroos and the New Zealand Kiwis, which Australia, again, total domination, ended up being 26 points to four. Phil, where do you think it fell apart for the Kiwis in that one? I think more than anything, it's frightening what the Aussies are doing from Mm. over here. 
I mean, you lost four irreplaceable legend players who all played in the spine of the team. And we replaced them. Um, and I think, <laughs> well, I, you can't replace them. All you can do is change yeah. and you can bring in different players and perhaps play a different standard. And I think we looked at when those four retired and said, there'll be a good chance now that the Aussies will come back to the pack a little bit. But when you look at the likes of, I don't know, James Tedesco and Latrell Mitchell and Damian Cook and as you say, Payne Haas coming off the bench, even Cameron Murray, who didn't uh, eventually make the 17. I am, you know, concerned about how good Australia are at the moment. Um, I think New Zealand are going through uh, a phase a bit like England and Great Britain, where we trial some new players, but it has an effect on the whole team pattern while they get used to playing at this level. You seem to have interchangeable players and you can bring in a new generation. And it's almost as if that production line never ceases. And that's why I was so impressed with Australia's performance. I I think you can look at New Zealand and say, maybe some of their star names didn't perform, but perhaps they weren't allowed to. I know that Sean Johnson's taken a fair amount of criticism but I like what Jermaine Asako is doing at the moment I still think Roger Tuivasa-Shek is arguably one of the most exciting players that play the game I like the way Brandon Smith can move a team around although I think he's better coming off the bench at the moment Britton Nikora everybody's telling me is one of the outstanding young talents so I, I think there is a lot for New Zealand to build on but the trouble is they're not at that level at the other we go back to that game against France if you'd have played that junior kangaroo as the full Australian team they probably still would have beaten New Zealand and and that's the depth of talent that the green and golds have got at the moment and it's really ominous for the rest of the world it's something to aspire to I think we're getting very excited here that we've got a three match test series this time next year between England and Australia we're desperately clamouring for the dates and the venues and it's a terrible shame and one of the things that holds International Rugby League back that we can't go and buy a ticket for that at the moment but we look at these new names coming through in the Australian shirt and we want to see them play over here on our soil which is fantastic but it's frightening what they might do as well. Well you're going to get that chance and I think it's been a little uh, long in the making. It would have been three years since the World Cup final before we finally get that rematch but it's going to be exciting. I think you're right in that it's funny to think that the Kangaroos are are just embarking on a new dynasty right after they finally Analyzed an old dynasty like the names you mentioned Tedesco Cook I'm not sure if you mentioned Cam Munster but even Ponga needs to come into this side there's there's so many great names and great players it seems more before we had the big three or four in the Australian side and you could put anyone else around them and they would excel now it's across the board yes. one to 13 and off the bench it's it's really frightening to think I think New Zealand weren't as far off as like I don't think New Zealand need to panic the big issue for them like everyone's been bagging out the halves they're saying that that Benji and Johnson were we're running sideways well these guys they naturally look look for space and when your forward pack isn't getting on top of the opposition side they end up running sideways because there's no space in front of them Benji and Johnson were phenomenal uh, in the mid-season test against Tonga because their forward pack got on top early and they were allowed to do whatever they wanted whereas against the Aussies they didn't get to do that there were several opportunities like two of the Australian tries came off intercepts off some expansive play from the Kiwis whereas if we'll talk about Tonga and, and Great Britain a little later on where Tonga's expansive plays they stuck and they scored some incredible tries if New Zealand scored tries instead of gave away intercepts the scoreline could have very easily been you know 16-14 to New Zealand it could have easily happened the other way so I think they're a lot closer than the scoreline suggests I think New Zealand you know they defended their line well early 
but I just don't think they need to panic. But uh, you, you could be right. And if New Zealand and England in particular don't get their act together in the next 12 months, we could see a long-term, you know, the domination for the kangaroos could continue. It's just the depth. The depth of um, talent is frightening. And it's been there for the last 50 years. That's why England or Great Britain haven't won a test series. I think there's one overriding issue as to why that is. And, and it's the same that it's been in all the time that I've been watching the game. And that is that we play far too many games over here. Yeah, uh, We play effectively a quarter of a season more than you do. And then we expect our players at international level to match what we saw from the Australians and the New Zealanders. And I think you're right that New Zealand don't have that same talent reservoir that the Aussies do and it's particularly rich at the moment but individually they have some players and some stories around those players you know Nickel Klockstadt's story this year has been as good as anybody's and difficult for him to go from being a fullback that's taken his team to the grand final to play in the centres with unfamiliar players around him so I think integration is very important and, and Malmaning has done a magnificent job in bringing through this next generation I think the pathway that, that Australia has with the Prime Ministers now with the junior kangaroos I think again that, that the whole state of Origin thing that enables players to walk into the test arena already attuned to what they need to do. We don't have that. The Kiwis don't really have that. And that's what tells sometimes in one-off test matches. It's why it's why three-match series are really exciting. In an ideal world, uh, it would be great to see the Australians and the Kiwis play a couple more times, maybe in New Zealand for both of those games. But we've got to decide what we want out of international rugby. Where does it sit? It should be the peak of the pyramid, but too often it isn't. I think it's slowly getting there, but you're right. New Zealand should be playing Australia more. I kind of feel like New Zealand could be playing England during State of Origin time and, and together grow to that to that next level. Yeah, and ideally over here. I mean, one thing we didn't have last season and we, we'd like you do the fixtures in the next, I think we've got them in a, in a week or two's time, you've got them tomorrow, but we didn't have a mid-season international break here last year and that's yeah. such a missed opportunity that, you know, if you could get New Zealand over here for you know maybe a couple of weekends while Origin's going on, then... Uh, it would be massive for both nations. But how do you do that when we start in January and we end in October? It would need an absolute shake-up. Like, I think you'd probably need to take definitely a few rounds off the Super League. You could even take a few rounds off the NRL, play more international weekends or more origin weekends and things like that. It would need complete restructure. Probably mine's smarter than ours uh, working that out. But the, the topic of the length for the Super League has come up a couple of times in this conversation already. Where do you think it needs to be? Like currently you guys are playing, what is it, like 30 games plus Challenge Cup? Like where should it be over there? Well, you're talking about playing perhaps less games in the NRL. I'd like to even get to the situation where we're playing the same number of games as the NRL. Yeah. We've got low fixtures where, you know, six extra fixtures just to pad out the season. For me, obviously I'm not a chairman or owner of a rugby league club, but it's false economy. There's player and spectator fatigue when you play the same team so often. So yeah. merely putting on a game perhaps is it actually costs you in the long term more than any income you may make from it. Um, I'd like to see us lose those six loop fixtures get down to a regular season maybe of 23 games because we've got the Challenge Cup to play on top of that you're likely as a Super League club to be playing at, at least two possibly four games in that competition yeah. and then you've got the playoffs so I think we need to lose the loop fixtures and it would be great if some of those six weekends that you would save need to go into 
a more extended pre-season. And if we're talking about perhaps the difference between standard of the Northern Hemisphere and and the Southern Hemisphere teams, we don't have a long enough pre-season to practice skills. We move to a summer game, so the bulk of our pre-season is in the winter when you you can't even get outside. You need to do predominantly uh, your fitness and conditioning work. Again, that doesn't really help you. We start off in the season where it's really cold. We then move to a small period where we've got something that we laughingly call summer. And then we end up with a lot of rain at the end of the season. So again, the skills that we practice are not necessarily transferable to three different seasons when you're playing the sport. So for me, we've got to lose six games. Some of that we've got to give to a longer pre-season preparation. Some of it we've got to give to, to international windows. I think we've cracked the code there, Phil, because you could have, there's 12 teams, you have home and away, that's 22. You probably add a magic round to that. You have maybe you have your your Challenge Cup. You could have some some international weekends against the likes of France. You could have a nine a Super League nines one weekend as well if you wanted to, and then have your international season at the end of that. It certainly makes a lot of sense to me. But you know whether or not the powers that be agree with us, that's another thing. Mate, let's talk about let's talk about the big one for you this weekend, which would have been Great Britain against the Tongan Invitational. Of course, Tonga took that out 14-6, to which shocked me a little bit. I knew it would be close, but I thought the Lions would get out on top. Uh, What's the feeling back home uh, after Great Britain's loss? Hysterical overreaction. Uh, Wayne Bennett has to go. All the players need to be replaced. It's an absolute disgrace. At the same time, the England Rugby Union team were making the World Cup, so Mm. uh, obviously our headlines were diminished. Now, I think watching the game, what happened was completely understandable. You're taking on arguably the biggest physical pack in International Rugby League and you lose Luke Thompson after 12 minutes who has been one of our absolute standout players this year can play long minutes Mm. he's a big physical specimen he can take the game to the likes of Andrew Fafita and Jason Taumalola not only do you then only have 16 players but you've lost one of your big physical strike weapons so I think that was an issue I think the spine of the team is new you know that they haven't played together so there was always going to be an issue about combinations I think what got lost over here was the fact that the try that effectively turned the game was the one right on half time which if you just sit back and and watch that without favour of who you might support was one of the best international tries you're ever going to see in any sport and you know clearly what I think again yeah there were some good individual performances amongst Great Britain I thought Jermaine McGilvery played uh, way above the level he has done domestically this year in a struggling Huddersfield team and clearly relishes that international environment I thought John Bateman and again James Graham were as good as they've been in the NRL and really took the game to the Tongan forwards I think the issue that we had and, and I think you need to be a game rather than watching it on a television screen to really pass judgment but it seemed to me that Josh Hodgson looked a little tired after all of his exploits with taking Canberra to a grand final and the psychological effect of losing that grand final I think two or three times he kicked out and gave away seven tackle sets which he, he wasn't doing for Canberra Obviously, you know, Gareth Widdop hasn't played a lot of rugby this year. And, yep. um, you go up a level in terms of intensity when you play these international games. So that's two of your spine that didn't quite function. So there's some mitigating circumstances for Great Britain. But I think we've missed something here by not looking at Tonga. When they first burst onto the scene, they were a big physical team that possibly ran out of energy after maybe 50 minutes. 
They didn't. They kept going for the full 80. They were a team that were forward-based. You looked at their backs when they first burst on the scene and, and they looked like forwards wearing numbers one to seven. Now they don't. They've got variety. I think Tui Loa here was superb at standoff. Probably did outplay Gareth Widdup. And I think that's a legacy again of his team getting to the grand final. And his confidence increased exponentially during the season. And he took that into the international game. Just think great balance. Conrad Hurrell came into the team at late notice and didn't make a mistake and, and kept that level of intensity going up throughout the entire 80 minutes. I just thought it was a really, really good and admirable Tongan performance. And at the end of it, it it had been mindful to say that we've sort of paid lip service to the fact that we've got a fourth tier one nation. Yeah. I think we have after a performance like that. It'd be very interesting to see if they can back it up now against the Aussies and get close. I, mean, I don't think they can win, but I think they can uh, certainly pose some issues for Australia. But I was just encouraged from an international perspective that we now genuinely have another force in the red, irrespective of any of their politics. And they looked like a really well-balanced, fit, athletic and not just physical team. And uh, they were a joy to watch, I have to be honest. We forget that it was the best Tongan performance I think I've ever seen. It's very un-Australian to me to say this, but I hope they beat the Aussies next week because I think that'll be absolutely phenomenal. They've all of a sudden, like like you mentioned, Lola here, that was the best game I've seen him play in the halves ever. Um, and and that's what yes. that's what Tonga have lacked. They've got the big boys. They've got speed out wide. But Lola here really controlled the game and did some special things. Hopawade played a bit of half as well. They brought in this young fullback Fenatesi New, who was came from nowhere. He's come from Queensland Cup obscurity, and he was just brilliant with every touch. It was fantastic. And I wrote a post on social media earlier this week and on Facebook it had over 20,000 views. And I spoke about the comparison in my mind between Tonga over the last couple of years and Queensland origin when it all began in 1981. And I spoke about how, you know, we had Artie Beetson who played for New South Wales residents for 10 years before finally representing his home state of Queensland when the origin concept was born. And we've seen similar things like that with Jason Tamalolo and Andrew Fafita. And we've seen guys like Alan Langer being plucked from Queensland Cup obscurity to play origin in 1987 and play a starring role. Well, we're seeing it again with Fenatesi from Queensland Cup onto the biggest stage for Tonga against Great Britain. And the fans are incredibly passionate, just like they were back in Origin days. And just like the birth of the Origin concept, everyone else thought it was a little bit of a joke, which is, you know, unfortunately how some people see International Rugby League. And I think that at Tongan Rugby League, the Tongan fans, the players and the passion is what's going to take Pacific Rugby League in particular to all new heights, just like Queensland did for State of Origin in Australia. I think it's very special and it's easy from a Great Britain perspective to say, oh, well, we lost against a small island nation. But let's not forget, these guys are definitely one of the best four nations in the world now and they're going to keep improving. I think is a very interesting case because the worry was looking at that Tongan squad that did so well in the 2017 World Cup is where was it going to be topped up from? At some point, Jason Taumalolo won't be available to play and I hope it's for a very long time. But when you start bringing in the likes of Tony Staggs and, and Niu, you can see almost the beginning of some kind of succession planning. If I'm right, I saw Niu play for the Australian schoolboys last Christmas time yeah. over here. Yeah. And it's great that he has selected to play for Tonga. I hope now that his entire international career is with Tonga, that they get the right amount of fixtures, that they are seen as a tier one nation and that he gets to exhibit his undoubted talent in the red shirt rather than get poached by the kangaroos at some stage but 
it's encouraging that somebody like him can come into that camp, buy into all those values that clearly, as you say, mean absolutely everything to these players that perhaps can go back to the islands and be fated by these passionate fans, maybe have some land given to him in his in his name or whatever. <laughs> whatever it needs to do to keep him part of this, this Tongan wave that has and could continue to change international rugby league over the next couple of years. I want to get to the point where when we're previewing the 2021 World Cup and who might win it, we genuinely can say that Tonga have a chance. And it's not just who's going to be the fourth semi-finalist for another Australia-New Zealand or Australia-England or, or New Zealand-England final. That They genuinely do have a chance. And at the moment, they genuinely do. It is nice having a new name there or a new nation there. I want to ask you a tough question, Phil, before we move on to some European uh, World Cup qualifiers. But this game sort of made me feel like we missed an opportunity. And, and you know, in the World Cup, Tonga were, some people think, robbed by the English side. Uh, in the semi-finals, I think we missed an opportunity here to have England versus Tonga. And imagine Tonga beat England. Like it just adds to that rivalry and that storyline that we can continue to build on over the next few years. I know there's a lot of nostalgia for the Great Britain Lions brand, and I'm sure you guys have sold a lot of jerseys over there from what I'm seeing. So there's some money coming in for the RFL. But do you like from an Australian perspective? I've heard a lot of people in the media call Great Britain England, and when you look at the side on paper. It's almost just England in another jersey. Do you think we made the right call by reviving the Great Britain Lions brand or should this have been England all along? That's, again, we probably need another podcast <laughs> to discuss this because what, you, what you're bringing in is Scotland, Wales and Ireland and what they can bring to the British Lions. What we have to do is raise the standard of those three nations so that they can provide players for a genuine British Lions. I mean, there's tokenism in there. Lachlan Coop clearly is a Scottish representative. Joe Philbin perhaps nominally is the Irish representative and Ian Watson on the coaching panel is the Welsh representative, but it's not enough. What we need to acknowledge is that finance over here is is very different to what it is over there and we need as much money into the sport as we can get and one of the um, main sources of that is Sport England funding which which is government funding yep. but the key word in that is England so part of that money goes to an elite program which is only ever going to fund England so for three of the four years then yes I think we should be seeing England play but the fourth year should be a touring year where the Lions come in but in those three years we find a mechanism whereby Scotland, Wales and Ireland's standard is improved to the point where it becomes a selection process, a genuine one for the Lions. So the Lions that you see in the Southern Hemisphere is a genuine conglomerate of what we've been doing in the Northern Hemisphere. Now, for that to work, a lot of players who are eligible to play for Ireland, Scotland, Wales, some of whom come out at World Cup time, you don't see them in the qualifiers or any internationals in the interim, would genuinely play for those nations. So if, for example, Ireland, who played in the European World Cup qualifiers this weekend, could call on the likes of Michael McAlorum, Kyle Amor, Louis McCarthy, Scarsbrook, who all played in the last World Cup because they felt that there was a real genuine reason to do so because they were playing England on a regular basis in a a four-nation tournament over here maybe in that international window that we talked about that Scotland played internationals that Lachlan Coote could play for Campbell Graham who could come over and play I look at the Australian team and, we, and we've said right at the very beginning the depth 
a player is astonishing that Australia can choose. Tyson Frizzell was one of the best players the other night against New Zealand, yep. but he's Welsh. You know, and if he was playing for Wales, as he has done in the past, what we need to do is raise the standard over here have internationals over here where the best players are picked for the nations they are eligible for and they then become Great Britain tourists. Now that's me living on Fantasy Island in the ivory tower that I exist in but if we are serious about Great Britain meaning something, if we're, if we're serious about raising the overall standard of international rugby league in the Northern Hemisphere, we've got to be looking to do that. We've got to put out the best squads we can with the best eligible players playing each other on an annual basis, uh, ideally mid-season, and that becoming a selection process for the Lions then arriving in the Southern Hemisphere every fourth year. And people look at it and going, actually, this looks quite different and exciting, and, and I wonder how they're going to gel. And uh, that's a combination of players that we wouldn't normally see. And, uh, yeah. and actually, I might go and buy a ticket for that because it's different. We're sort of at that almost not even a halfway house yet where we bought the Lions back, which is an iconic brand. And as you say, the colours look great. The jerseys are, are being bought in number. It's something a little bit different, but it's not different enough. You know, Again, I, I'm a massive devotee of Wayne Bennett and his coaching record and having sort of watched his progress at, uh, over a number of years, what he's brought to the sport. But I'm not sure it was wise to make him the Great Britain coach as seamlessly yeah. from being the England coach because it doesn't look any different. Yeah. So all of that, I think we need to look at, decide what we want. And, and if it is an element of tokenism, then we're going down the wrong road. If, we, if we're seriously saying we bought Great Britain back, we can see over the next couple of tours when, when they come down, or if, we, if we indeed had a, an eight-year calendar that everybody knew about, yeah. then um, it would be worth looking at how do we get something that is truly representative of Northern Hemisphere Rugby League. If there's a plan, I'm all for it. I just hope, you know, if it is seen to be a failure this year, which we're not sure yet, there's still a few games to go, but if if the worst case were to happen and it was all dropped again for another 12 years, then I wouldn't like to see that. I'd love to see a day where what you're saying eventuates and, we, and we're maybe seeing, this might sound gimmicky, but I'd love to see like Great Britain versus like a Pacifica United side with, you know, you know Tonga, Samoa, yeah, Fiji. You know, I would buy that, you know, because it's a group of nations versus a group of nations, which I think would be great. Let's talk about some of these other home nations that we touched on it but the European leg of the World Cup qualifiers, a couple of games took place over the weekend as well. Ireland defeated Spain 40 points to eight and Scotland absolutely shellacked Serbia 86 points to nil. You'd think those two nations are as good as qualified for the World Cup. Can you touch on those games yes. briefly? Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. Um, I think they knew that if they won their first games, because we've got two pools of three and the top two go through. So win your first game and win it well and you're almost guaranteed. They were the top seeds. They've won their first games quite convincingly and so they are through and there's some interest now in the other nations fighting for the second place. Serbia came in late when Russia dropped out. Yep. Started very, very slowly against Scotland. I think they were 40 points down inside about 25 minutes. So a real lesson for them and they'll go back home and see if they can pick that up. Scotland in the World Cup, uh, that's not a bad thing. I think they'll get a lot of support over here. Ireland won 42-8. I got the chance to watch that game on a live stream and there's nothing finer than on an afternoon hearing a Spanish commentary on Rugby League. Uh, <laughs> that, to me, is near Nirvana. And actually, the Spanish were really competitive and I think for nations, again, where the, the domestic game is growing, what you look for are, are incremental increases in standard and that Spanish team was a lot better than any other Spanish team I've seen play. 
Ireland scored four tries in the last 15 minutes, which which blew out the scoreline. Uh, they were always the slightly better team, but was really impressed with the progress that Spain have made. Awesome. It, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in, in, in their final game if the, next week against Italy, if they can find enough to gain a win. But Ireland, again, being in, in a World Cup that's staged in the Northern Hemisphere is, is, is not a bad thing for the tournament. But no, it, two contrasting games, not a surprise. I think the only downside for me is that there's nobody really picking up the broadcasting for these at the moment. And that's a shame that international rugby league doesn't resonate enough over here when we think we already know what the, the score lines are going to be. So we don't have a broadcaster that is paying money to show these games. And we are relying on live streams and social media clips. And that's something, again, that and I know a lot of work has gone into trying to find broadcasters. But it's a shame when you've got World Cup qualifiers and we've got three weeks of them. So it's almost a mini tournament within itself. But we're not really getting the coverage that something of that of maybe that magnitude deserves you raise a good point i'm sure a lot of people would have loved to have seen i mean spain were up two nil after 20 minutes and a lot of people would have loved they to were. have seen that played very well um even the serbians i know i know it was a big scoreline but they've got a lot to be congratulated for they had 14 domestic serbian born players in that side and and speaking to guys like colin clayweg afterwards and they're, they're two years into a 10-year plan and i think serbia you know they didn't expect this opportunity a couple of short months ago but here they are and they'll, they'll fight hard in their next match as well win lose or draw and i think the future is bright in places like serbia spain interest me because you know we're hearing a lot about this Valencia Hurricanes side that apparently wants a spot in the League One. Do you know much about these guys? Uh, I, I, I mean, forgive me for being a skeptic, but that's also part of being a, a rugby league fan. It's in <laughs> yeah. our DNA. But at the moment, if you put together everybody who has applied to potentially be in League One in 2021, it's going to be the Global League of Global Leagues. Uh, you know, we're going to be having Ottawa and New York and Valencia and Red Star Belgrade and uh, whoever else you might want to know. I, I can't see that happening. The, there isn't money in the third tier level of rugby league here, which is a, a part-time sport with some very traditional and, and significant names that are, are struggling playing against those nations. I can't see fans travelling three or four times a year. We've talked a lot about we need to decide what we want out of the international game and how it fits as a pinnacle in all of the competitions. I think we need to decide how the international club game then feeds into that. And to me, if we now do have Toronto Wolfpack in Super League and they look like they're a sustainable entity perhaps at that level, then we need to decide if we're going to have another North American team. Surely they need to play against them to maximise the interest, the television revenue, the commercial revenue. I think we could have a pan-European league where perhaps Valencia and Red Star and Rotterdam and whoever could play each other a little bit like the European Cup in, in football. But again, who's going to provide the money for these teams to travel and perhaps they need to come up with a competition that is bespoke to them rather than feed into one where they're going to be playing the likes of Hunslet and Rochdale and yeah. uh, you know the teams that have been around for a, for a very... It, it's an oil and water thing. It, it doesn't mix for me. I think what we're getting is some real interest from entrepreneurs in wanting to get involved in rugby league. It, it's where those teams fit in the overall scheme of things. There's a case for saying, again, as revert back to the armchair in the ivory tower, the west coast of the USA should be a development tool for the NRL. The east coast of the USA should be a development tool for, yeah. for Super League. And we, we need to decide how this all fits together. 
and obviously there needs to be input from the international rugby league from the european federation there's teams that i think you've been reporting on that are starting in california over christmas and possibly even texas but how does that fit into the usa rugby league as it currently exists how does that fit into feeding into perhaps a toronto or maybe even a new york or or an ottawa or a boston or a philadelphia if they're going to be professional entities and we seem to have a lot of pieces of a jigsaw but we don't actually know what the picture is on the box that we're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think the good news for me is there seems to be interest all over the place at the moment. And I think that's because of Toronto. You're seeing what a successful club from a nation that is very new to rugby league uh, compared to, to obviously its birthplace. But we're, we're seeing a lot of interest there. The game is growing a lot faster than we can sort of keep up with or, or than the administrators can keep up with. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think you know we just need to figure out what that looks like. And I think, Phil, before I let you go, it's been a great conversation. I think you and I possibly need to get together and have another long conversation about what the world of rugby league from a club level might might look like or need to look like. Maybe we can sort some things out there and give the big wigs some ideas. Well, I think the important thing is that it does feed into the international game. I think both you and I are of a similar evangelistic mind that nothing ever starts with a blank sheet of paper. But if you had the opportunity to do so, it begins with internationals at the top. And then it feeds down into the fact I think that's exciting over there is that you've got a PNG team playing in a Queensland competition that has improved the domestic competition, but also made the PNG national team stronger. I think you're going to get the same with Fiji. Uh, it be very interesting to see what Tonga do. Samoa in the nines look like they have the potential perhaps to even be the next Samoa, uh, Tonga. So I think all of that is where you get your domestic competition to feed into your international level. We need to think about that now. How do we do this with a Valencia or a Red Star Belgrade or you know somebody who might be interested in the Americas? What do we do with the Caribbean? Because again, talking to people like Romeo Monteith, that you know there are other people out there, even South American people who might be interested in some kind of a concerted plan that would raise the profile ultimately of international rugby league. But how does it all fit together? And and I think that is a conversation that needs having because each little area. Area. The international rugby league will look after the nations, but you know how does the NRL and the RFL feed into all of that, and we get an integrated plan whereby everybody benefits. Phil, mate, this has been one of my favourite uh, conversations in my short podcasting career. So thank you very much for that. Um, I look, you I, are very kind. <laughs> I hope you're looking forward to to next week. I think it's going to be as big as this week, and uh, may international rugby league uh, grow and prosper, mate. Let's hope so, because that is the future of the sport. Cheers. I caught up with England Wheelchair Rugby League Team and Rugby League World Cup 2021 Ambassador James Simpson at the Wollongong Test. What a great conversation. Here it is. All right, guys, I'm here with English Wheelchair Rugby League hero, Mr James Simpson. James, how are you, buddy? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. Uh... I'm having a great time here in Australia. <laughs> How good is it, man? And you have you have something that you can say that not many English rugby league players can say. You've absolutely shellacked the Aussies in an Ashes series, mate. How'd that go? Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. We played the two uh, warm-up games against North Queensland and Queensland, um, and then obviously the two tests against the Australian national side. Um, but all four games were. Um, incredible games you know when, when we put we were put to the um, a, a test in each of them but yeah we, we've won every game so far and it's been absolutely incredible and to say we're kind of one of the only English teams to beat the Aussies is, is one of the uh, is, is quite a, a good a good scalp yeah. to have 
Mate, I'm loving speaking to you today because um, I know you've got an incredible story to tell. And most of our, or half of our listeners at least, are Australian and they don't know your story. Most of them wouldn't anyway. Could you share that with us and let us know exactly what you've been through to get to this point? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, how much time you got? Um, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I grew up playing rugby league in the north of England, which is like the rugby league heartland, um, uh, spotting these rhinos. Played as a as, as a kid with my mates and everything, and then I joined the army when I was 17. Joined the British Army, um, and then totally lost track of the game because you're constantly deployed. I went to Afghanistan twice, and then Iraq and and Bosnia before that. So you just lose track of the game. You catch a few games here and there, but you're so busy and, and constantly. Deployed. That you, you you just miss the whole season. Whole seasons pass you by, um, and then in twenty in two thousand nine, I triggered an improvised explosive device in Afghanistan, which detonated um, underneath me and, and took both my legs off above the knee. Um, and obviously, after that, I went through a kind of a three year long recovery process to get walking again and uh, get in shape again and, and kind of get out and about. And then it's after that, and I moved back to Leeds. I started going along to Henley to watch rhinos play again, like I did as a kid and um, spotted they had a wheelchair team and I kind of inquired about it um, went and did a few training sessions and then got hooked and then and that was 2013 and I've not um, I've not stopped since really yeah. and now we're into 2019 and we're over in Australia playing so the the, the, uh, the journey's been pretty crazy over the past um, nearly 10 years so you've played both you've played rugby league beforehand and now you're playing wheelchair rugby league just apart from the obvious differences what are some of the differences with the two yeah so the, w- the way i describe it is it's we've taken rugby league and then put the wheelchair in not got a wheelchair and gone, how can we play rugby league so we try and keep it as similar to the running game as we'd call it if rugby league as we can so six tackles and you have a turnover um we have a 40 metre pitch, not court pitch. Everything that is 10 metres in the running game is four metres to us, so a 20 metre restart is an eight metre restart. We have sticks, so you cross the try line and get the ball down, you take the conversion from in line with where, you, where you've scored the try. So it's not so much about the differences, we, we try and make it as rugby league as possible, and that's and, and that show that's when people watch it who follow rugby league, they instantly recognise the game and recognise what's going on on the pitch. Mate, you've certainly an inspiration to many, like others may have given up in your position. Tell me, is it true that you met your missus after your injury? She was a nurse, is that correct? No, when I met her, she wasn't, no. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I did meet her after, after I got injured. I met her, I got injured in 2009, and I met her in 2012 um, down in Salisbury in Wiltshire. And at the time, no, she was a student. Um, she was um, just about to go to university. And she's a nurse now, but she wasn't a nurse when I met her. She was uh, a, a, about to go to university. So I kind of I'd left the army and moved back to Leeds. And I always said I was going to go out with, meet, meet a girl from Leeds. You know, that was just around the corner and I didn't have to commute to see. And then I met my partner who lived 300 miles away. So then for the next three years, we commuted between where she lived down in Wiltshire and, and up to Leeds before she finished university and moved up to, up to where I live, yeah. That's awesome, man. Some of the best things that have happened you have been in recent times by the sounds of things and were there times like in those three years of rehab where it was a little bit darker for you and and has rugby league sort of made things a little more positive for you I suppose yeah it's it's kind of down to the first point I have this weird conundrum and I talk to my missus Josie about it sometimes where it's if someone said to me right now if you wake up tomorrow morning you'd have your legs back my instant response is yes I'll have them I'll have them back but then I start backtracking and I think, but then I wouldn't have played in a World Cup in front of 2,000 people. Yeah. I wouldn't have represented my country. I wouldn't have gone to Australia. I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have met the people I've met or done the things I've done. And then I end up backtracking it and then and I don't have an answer to it. It's, if someone asked me that question, I'd, I'd spend so long going around in circles about it that I wouldn't know. But the opportunities I've had 
um, since being injured have been absolutely incredible. I mean, this is the first time we've come over here and done this and played um, North Queensland, Queensland, New South Wales and Australia. It's never been done and we, we were here to do it and, and that's, that's amazing. And if I hadn't been injured, that would never have happened. I wouldn't be in this in this scenario but then yeah early on there was a couple of moments a couple of wobbles I call them where yeah. I'd, uh, things would happen or, or or happen to me where I'd just get a little bit emotional and one of them I've kind of said it before where I was trying to get into a, a, like a loo a toilet and I couldn't get my wheelchair in there and I'd only been in it about six months um, and then I kind of it hit me this wave of being like um, is this my life now is this what I have to deal with I can't even get through a stupid door uh, and then I started crying for like 30 seconds and just let it happen and then afterwards, I kind of said to myself, but I still need to go to the toilet, so I've got to get in it, you know? So, and it was one of those moments where I just let myself get upset and let myself kind of cry. And then afterwards, I was like, right, now I need to move past this and, 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 and get on with it. So, yeah, there was a few moments early on, but I've never kind of dwelled on the negative and, and I've always tried to push myself forward and, and, and challenge myself and, and, and keep going, really, and, and not... Um, and not fall behind and, and just keep pushing myself. Man, what an inspiration. And now you're the ambassador or one of the ambassadors for the Rugby League World Cup 2021. Uh, what are you excited about most for, for 2021? Yeah, yeah. well, that's another thing that wouldn't have happened. So obviously I've been playing wheelchair rugby league since 2013 and we've never had uh, anyone in this kind of role as an ambassador for the game. Never. Not being done. And not even just me, just anybody doing it. So to get approached by the World Cup to say, right, we want to elevate the wheelchair now onto the same platform as the men and the women, all on TV, all free to view, all everything. And we want you to be the guy to come on and help promote it and push it and grow it. That was just mind-boggling for me. You know, as, as, first as a rugby league fan and then as a, a wheelchair rugby league player, that was a huge... A huge opportunity, absolutely crazy, and I love it. And it's great. It's great as a, as a, as a fan and, and the player to be on the other side of the curtains and such. So you see things happening, and you see the decisions getting made that are going to make this World Cup the best that has ever been for this sport. And I wouldn't have seen these things if I wasn't on the other side of the, you know, of the fence. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And, and that's another one of those amazing opportunities I, I wouldn't have had had a not like being injured all those years ago what a great story and I hope if there's a publisher listening that they, <laughs> they, they take your story on board and write this book mate final question but what do you what do you think of Australia mate How, how's it been yeah I, I love it over here do you know I'd live here um, do you know I love I love um, especially down around Sydney the, the, like how passionate they are about rugby league it's like you go, you walk to a coffee shop the people next to you are talking about who signed for who and who's going where and things and, and, and you see all the different jerseys and, and things um, about the place but I absolutely love it and, and since we've been here since we first landed in Townsville um, right up um, kind of Queensland way um, everyone's been amazing with us really welcoming and really friendly and, and nobody's nobody's kind of turn the backs on us at all as such everyone's been amazing and everyone's seen we're not just here to, to beat the Australian national side we're here to, to help grow the game as well and that's why we played in places like Townsville and, and we played Queensland and we played New South Wales to, to help show people what's out there and, and show what there is on the international level to help get some some um, some steam behind the national side over here as well and help grow the game even at grassroots in all these places. It's definitely an area that's growing and it's and it's a really exciting brand of rugby league as well for anyone that hasn't watched it before. I, I recommend they do. Mate, you're welcome to Australia anytime. Uh, we call it we call it footy over here. So yeah, awesome, awesome man. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon and good luck uh, for leading up to 2021. Thanks a lot, mate. No, I really appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's incredible. 
my final conversation for the night. Uh, I absolutely love this guy and I love his entire family. Actually, he played for the St. George Illawarra Dragons, played for the Brisbane Broncos, uh, the North Queensland Cowboys, over to the Super League for Warrington Wolves, finished his career uh, helping the Toronto Wolfpack get into the Super League and he also represented the Fiji Barty, Ashton Sims. So from uh, Gerringong to Toronto and back again, Bash, Ashton Sims, how are you, buddy? I'm really good, Nick. Yourself? Oh, man, I'm fantastic. I've just had, uh, I've been having some really good long rugby league conversations lately. The international season is probably my favourite time of year and it's just really good to see. I hear you were at, yeah, um, both, mate, you were at Wollongong uh, this, this Friday for the Aussie games. Absolute domination from all the Aussie teams. Mate, what did you take from it? Because it's been a while since you've been this up, up close and personal with some of the NRL players over here. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Oh man, I was I was ultra impressed. I really was. I've I've watched them from afar, obviously over in England and, and over there in Canada. Uh, to watch some of them in the flesh was just they were just so powerful, so strong that you know, starting from Dave um uh Dave Fafita, you know, Victor Radley, Angus Crichton and then seeing the seeing the speed to burn, Pappenhausen and and um uh, the young kid from from the Knights who was up at who was up at the North Queensland with me. Oh, Caelan Ponga. Um, Caelan Ponga, yeah, yeah. I was trying to give him a big intro there. But, <laughs> uh, you know, he was only young when he was when he was up in North Queensland when I was up there too. And I remember him coming through and everyone saying he had a big future. And unfortunately, he fell through the fell through the uh, Cowboys' fingers. But he's just showing his worth so much now. You know, Ruben Garrick on the wing. And then into that women's game, what a great advert for the sport, what a great advert for the game. A few people were a little bit worried about them going from 60 minutes to 80 minutes, but the girls just dispelled any, any worries, any queries that they'd be able to go that extra 20 minutes. Some of them were just shortening each other right up. The crowd was just electric too. I think there was, I think it ended up being eight, nearly 9,000 there for the women's game. And, and then the big one, the big boys in the main game. I thought New Zealand were pretty decent in the first half. They certainly fell away in the second half. You know, a couple of kicking options weren't great um, in the second half of all game, really, but especially in that second half. And you can't do that against an Australian team. No, no matter who they put in that grand gold, they all know what that jersey means to the people who wore it before them. And uh, they want to make sure they do proud for the present day. And I know Mal and, and his crew make sure that the heritage has always been a strong factor in, in bringing up or bringing, sorry, bringing players into the squad. The Kiwis were, I think, they started off impressive. Like, they were defending their line for, this is the men I'm talking about, they were defending their line for the first 20 minutes and all of the kangaroos had was a, was a penalty goal to show for it all. And I sort of That's thought, right. I, I had the feeling that if New Zealand could get a quick try once the possession turned back in their favour, that this game could be anything. But... It didn't happen that yeah. way, and, and Australia, you know, scored a few tries, and then that was pretty much it from there. But yeah, it just, it just sort of broke. Yeah, it just sort of broke the camel's back, didn't it? There, there a couple of quick tries there, the Oz, and you know, you can't be given guys like Latrell Mitchell and Tedesco. Uh, I thought, you know, I thought Delatier Evans was brilliant as well. You know, I know he's he always for some reason he always comes under a bit of scrutiny. You know, coming into these big rep teams, but yeah, I'll tell you what, man, I think he's matured into a really fine player and. A player for you know for the next few years that Australia can really rely on as captain or, or half back of the team and you know you're missing a guy like Cooper Cronk and, and obviously JT the, the year before but uh, I think you know Australia are in very fine hands with with a guy like Daly Cherry Evans there patrolling in the halves and 
it's just really exciting to be, you know, to, not just an Australian fan, but being an international fan. You know, I know we're probably going to touch on what happened on Saturday night with Tonga and the, the Great Britain Lions, and we've got this big, <laughs> we've got a big triple header on this weekend, which is just, uh, you know, that, that's the ultimate for international rugby league. And anyone who loves expansion, anyone who loves rugby league, will watch this triple header with a, with a, you know, with a lot of pride, a lot of passion, but also having a look into the future of what rugby league could hold on the international scene. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So we've got. Next week's going to be Samoa and Fiji, and obviously, you know, you've played for Fiji Barty, so I know who you're going for in that one. We've yeah. got we've got Great Britain and New Zealand, and I'm kind of hoping, you know, I love watching the Kiwis play, but I'm kind of hoping Great Britain can sort of get get some back this week because I think they they were on, you know they wouldn't be happy about their loss to Tonga, obviously. And then you've got Tonga yeah. and Australia, and I, I, this is going to sound very un-Australian of me, but. I really hope Tonga can uh, can come out on top because I think it'll be fantastic for the international game. How do you see these games going down? Yeah, look, you know, starting from the top, I think Fiji Samoa obviously is going to be a cracking game. The proud Pacific nations going at it. Off the back of both of our World Cups, last World Cup, you know, we've had a great platform to launch off of rugby league in both those countries, and I think we've taken some really positive steps towards strengthening our ties with those countries, between the NRL, with rugby league and the NRL, and. Both teams stacked full of superstars. I saw the Samoan team the other day, and I know most AG Yeah, like I said before, you want to talk about pride passion in New Jersey. You know, you've got two countries who won't let anyone down there. And uh, then the second game, you know, GB. I know a few of them guys personally, and I know that hurt last week that loss. I was talking to one of them during the week, and you know, Tonga aren't Tonga aren't this tier two nation anymore. You know what I mean? They've they've um, they've dispelled that rumor on plenty of occasions now in their last few internationals and so they'll be looking to bounce back big time, mate, and that's you know, that's the pride of that's, that's the pride of the Pommies is of the English is they're a very resilient um race of people and um you know, their culture their culture is just based on the back of greediness and yeah. I'm sure they'll bounce I'm sure they'll bounce back, but you know what man, is that same voice and that same token so the Kiwis. You know, they won't they'll look back on Wynn Stadium and see where they could have had the Aussies on the ropes a couple of times and want to make a you know, want to make amends. Um want want to make amends for that. The thing about New Zealand is they they certainly get better as as they go on. So their first game of any tournament, you know, they're usually a little bit shaky, but by the a end of it. Slow out of the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah most, most certainly, mate. They're, you know, they're they're notoriously, notoriously sometimes a little bit slow, but you know they've got too much. They've got too much going across the park, and I think um, you know they they they're probably they probably copped a bit of criticism during the week. They'll use that as motivation and and to, to come out with a big performance, especially in front of their home crowd. And then obviously the big one, that's Australia versus Tonga, which yeah, that's just a, that, that's just an international expansionist's dream. That you know, Tonga, little old Tonga versus the might of Australia. And I tell you what, on paper, there's not too much between them. I reckon. I think. Tonga, you know, the halves. Actually, I think that young fullback, I, I can't remember his name. He's obviously had a great game. He hasn't played a first grade game yet from the Broncos, but. I think it's uh, um, Fanatesi New. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. Yeah, New. That's it. <laughs> I thought he was absolutely brilliant for an 18 year old kid to come in, to come on a scene on a stage like that. He came out of nowhere uh, because I was expecting uh, I was expecting Will Hopawade at fullback, and then they named yeah. him, and he came out, and I'm like, where did they find yeah, this guy? Yeah, you know, I thought, oh, geez, I'm going to lose a little bit of the back <laughs> there, but if anything, I reckon it just made him stronger. I think. You know, Will Hopawade is an absolute brilliant player in his own right, and I thought, oh, he might be a little bit wasted on the wing, but. I thought Will played great as well, and that young kid just had no fear. 
he was just a strong presence all game. And, you know, that's the leadership that a guy like Christian Wolf owns. I had him up at North Queensland as a it was it was a bit of an assistant coach up there with us at the Cowboys for a season or two and you could just tell he had a certain grittiness about him and if he just got his team sort of club where he could get his team moulded into his yeah, in, into what his values and his leadership and his culture wanted it, wanted to be uh, I knew they'd be pretty successful and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching some Holland this year this season coming up too over in the English Super League because I think he'll do some, some pretty good things with a, with a really strong squad. I think he's going to do well. You can certainly see why the Tongan um, players fought tooth and nail to get him back and we all know what's going on there. But yeah, we won't dwell too much on that, mate, because Bash, I want to talk about your career, man, because you started off uh, playing for my favourite side, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, and unfortunately yeah. that was a, it was four years there and then moved on to the Brisbane Broncos, the North Queensland Cowboys. Then you moved over to, to the UK Super League with Warrington, Maiden. Tell me a little bit about that decision. What was it like moving over there and uprooting your whole family to go to the other side of the world to play rugby league? Yeah, look, it was a decision I didn't take lightly. It was, um, you know, there was a few, couple of restless nights later, you know, as a, I always hear that and think, oh, that's just a generic answer, but it really was. Yeah. Know, having to uproot three kids, a wife and three kids, and move to the other side of the world where I knew no one. How was I going to go with the new culture shock? How was I going to go with the weather, with this, that, being away from family? But I can tell you, hand on heart, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And uh, I think, you know, England, I think if any, if any rugby league player gets a chance to go over to England and experience what they do and how they do things over there, I think, you know, you should jump at it especially at a club like Warrington, who just absolutely bent over backwards for my kids. We met some of the greatest people I've ever met, which I can't believe I'm saying this, but some of the best people I've ever <laughs> met are English. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. You know, they're fantastic folks. They've got a great sense of humour. I still piss myself laughing now at some of the stuff, and some of the jokes and some of the shows that I've watched over there. You know, just just their sort of dry, witty humour and just... Makes me giggle now. And, you know, I get WhatsApp off all my English mates you know, once or twice an hour, it seems like. But especially again, a big club like Warrington, like I said, they, they just did all they could to make me and my family feel comfortable. And I, I got to enjoy it for a few some good successful years over there without any silverware, except for some a league leader shield. People have asked me, what are your highlights and lowlights? And some of them are the same game. You know, if wow. I got to walk out, I got to walk out at Wembley. In the Challenge Cup final, and unfortunately we lost, but it was an unbelievable Australia. I got to play a grand final with Old Trafford, got to walk out onto Old Trafford with my son, uh, holding my hand, and unfortunately we lost that night, but it's certainly still something I'm going to cherish forever, you know, irrespective of the scoreline. It was a, it was a life experience that you know, not too many people have got to have, and yeah, fortunately I got to experience it with, with my son. Mate, you've had a lot of experiences that many rugby league players haven't had, having played on both sides of the world. And and one of those is taking a Canadian side to Super League. So you've you've obviously had a lot to do with the Toronto Wolfpack success, mate, and their rise through from from League One to Championship. And now after winning the grand final, they'll be in Super League next year. Tell me a little bit about Toronto, mate. How did that come about? What was it like over there? Is it what you expected? Uh, Yeah, honestly, mate, it was... uh if you want to talk about some great experiences, that that Canadian experience was was right up there with some of the best that I've ever uh, that I've ever got the, the chance to see, the chance to feel, the chance to cherish. It was but the people over there are just so you know they're so pro rugby league. You wouldn't think it. We had you know we had nine and a half thousand at last year's grand final, and then ten and a half, nearly eleven thousand this year. Mm. 
Um, for, for a crowd like that in the North Heartland sport, this is why I'm so pro-expansion, and, and I have been for a long time. Is you know, I had this conversation the other day. I'll, I'll be the first to admit I was never good enough to make state of origin, and that's you know, unfortunately that was just uh, that was a goal that I had growing up. But you know, unfortunately I didn't get there, and also got the chance to get a taste of Fiji rugby league and, and in the international scene and World Cup. I realised how wide our, our sport could be with. Ingenuity with some, you know, revolutionary thinking and a lot of elbow grease and a whole lot of forward thinking about the game. You know, we could be, we could touch all four corners of the globe. Our sport, maybe we'll never be as big as as rugby union or, or certainly not soccer, but you know, we can really touch some parts of the world and, and give our sport that I grew up loving and grew up watching and grew up eating, breathing, living every day. You know, there could be some kid in in Africa, China. You know, in in Europe, somewhere in North America, South America, there could be another whole demographic of people who just cling onto our sport. And I think that's what we've shown in Canada. We've got a really forward-thinking uh, owner in David Argyle who has just rugby league on his mind and in his blood, and he's prepared this cash a bit of cash to expand our sport and show our sport. And you know, he's really benefits. We've got stakeholders and sponsors on board that we've never. You know, never in a million years you'd think we'd have in Canada. And we've got teams like the Blue Jays and mm-hmm. uh, the Maple Leafs and, and um, the Raptors tweeting about us, Instagram, social media and us about us, wishing us good luck, wishing us congratulations. Um, and, and, you know, that, that them doing that is just showing our sport to a whole, a whole new audience as well. So the Toronto Wolfpack experience was brilliant and I reckon there's, you know, the best is yet to come for the Wolfpack. And that's exciting, man. And I was even, I was speaking to one of your teammates there, Hakeem Aludi, a couple of weeks ago at the Nines and he was saying that he couldn't believe the fans, you know, at first they came out because it was a bit of a no- novelty, but now a couple of years later they understand the game and they're, they're bringing friends exactly. along. And it- you know, it's a, it's a simple logo, but it's a, it's a noticeable logo. You know, you, you see that, you it's called King Street, the, the, one of the main streets in Toronto, and we used to ride the training. Yeah. Myself and Josh McCrone, Chase, Chase Danley, and, uh, and Ricky Latelli, and a few of the other boys. And we're in the middle of Toronto in the major city. You'd see people just walking around with a Toronto Wolfpack hat on, you know, to the side. You know, you, you know, in Australia, you see the Yankees hat. Yeah, yeah. Chicago Bulls hat, whatever. Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers hat, or... Giants, and it was just like they were walking around proud with it, and it was just like, oh wow, you know, people were starting to to identify our brand and, and what our brand's all about and, and our sport. Yeah, it looks fantastic, man. I'll, it I'll, does, it, yeah. it does, man. Especially with the, it, it just look, it looks really cool in, in in Toronto, North America, and that's what we're trying to do. Well, I've had this conversation with people before, with people who are against Wolfpack. You know, either love us or hate us. I'm, you know, I don't care. But all I want to all I want to put across is especially to the English clubs. I know it doesn't really resonate here in Australia, but to the English clubs, to yeah. these traditional clubs, we're not trying to take any food off your table. All we're trying to do is expand our sport into a new demographic, into new people, into new cultures. And off the back of that, you never know. You never know some of these clubs have been around for 140 years just might reap a little bit of benefits from that. Well, you're seeing a lot of hate from Northern England and one of the biggest things that people are saying is that Toronto is not going to bring any away fans. But I would argue that the hate, the, ha- the hatred for the Wolfpack or the, the from certain areas is what is going to bring more fans, more home fans to some of these games. Like you guys, they're going to get some record crowds next year or not, yeah. re- you know, because people want to see the Wolfpack play and it's going to be exciting, it's, man, whichever way you look at it. Mike, it was in black and white. Most of the teams that we played, their best crowds were against us because, and you know, it's not a cocky or a confident, overconfident thing. It's just 
the teams want to see us get beaten, which that's fine. I, I don't mind that. But this crap about the Wayne fans, I've never heard of it until I went to England. I don't Same. really. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, I played at North Queensland for four years. I played at Brisbane for three years. Um, you, you're telling me we had a good following, like especially North Queensland to Canberra on a, on a Monday night. Like, come on, man. It's, the game should sell itself. If you can't sell out the ground, you might have to have a look at your... Uh, your backroom staff, you know, the people who are meant to sell tickets, who are meant to advertise the game. Because to me, rugby, rugby league sells itself. I know in England it's a lot tougher because of because of football, because of soccer, because that's just a juggernaut. But, you know, on the criticism, I've, I've got a saying I've always, I've, I heard a few years ago and I've just kept it close to my heart. And I, you know, I don't take, I don't accept criticism of people I wouldn't take advice from. And yeah. that's, I think that's what's given me some longevity in the game is, you know, it's water, honestly, man, it's water off the duck's back to me. If you, if you say something or anything like that, that's fine. That's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. But, you know, I've got my vision of what, of what I'd love to see in rugby league. And now I'm retired, I get to really go at that um, behind the scenes and try and build it up as best as I can. Well, I wanted to talk to you about that, man. I was really interested to hear because I know you're a, you're a big expansionist like I am. You've done things that many others haven't. I think you're a legend of the game just for that reason. What, <laughs> what, what, what next for Ashton Sims? Like, what, what are you going to do to help grow the game now that your, your, playing, game, or your playing career is over? Yeah, look, man. I haven't, I haven't completely nailed down what I, what I exactly want to do. You know, I've been very lucky, very humbled to be offered a couple of roles with him. It's one of these ones where I've been back into Australia for about no, nearly two weeks now. I think it's been about ten or eleven days. At the moment, I'm just enjoying surfing and working out, trying to get me tan back. But look, you know, I've got a real passion and desire to stay within the game. Uh, especially in the club scene and definitely the international scene. I think we touched on it before, but I'll say it again. I I really believe State of Origin is the pinnacle of our sport. I I really do, hands down. The best game, the best product in our sport. But the only set of fans who really have an emotional attachment to it is New South Wales and Queensland, if you get what I mean. So why why could you try and get someone from Tonga, Fiji, Italy, Spain, Ireland... How can they have a real emotional attachment to a game that you know doesn't really resonate to them? Uh, what really resonates to them is the international game. You know, the Irish can follow their Irish rugby league team. They have a great, strong rugby league team at the moment. The French can follow theirs. Fijians, Tongans, Samoans—they can follow their team, and they can have and Papua New Guineans. I could go on forever. Yeah, they, man. Could, they can have an they can have an emotional attachment to their team through their country. And that's what they can't really get from a New South Wales versus Queensland game. I really believe from what we've seen over the last few years, and you can say it's because of, you know, Tonga, what they did at the World Cup. You can say it's what you guys have done at the Wolfpack, but all these ingredients are starting to come together. And I think there's going to be more and more people like us uh, who want to grow the game and want to see it flourish. And I think it's actually happening, man. So, man, I want to thank you yeah. for everything you've done. I, th- I know you've got so much more to give and, and that's amazing. And, and you've, been a, you've, you've been a great player. I've got one more. Thanks. Just, just, just one more thing for me. Just, just yeah. quickly on that and expansion too. I, I, I get this muddled up, you know, with people listening to this, all with fans either. I, yeah, I've got, I've got a saying about myself, which I picked up off the great Brian Noble, who's a very good friend of mine, and I bloody love him like a father. He's, I'm going to, well, hopefully, I'll see him in Australia soon. But I'm, if I, if this makes sense to viewers or yourself or listeners, I, I've got an expansion mind, expansionist mindset with a community heart. Yeah. When I say that, I mean, I want to make sure our meat and potatoes, our, our community clubs, our local clubs, the volunteers of our local clubs, I want to make sure they're flourishing and they're, they're gaining a lot of productivity through our sport. But I also want to branch out our sport into these countries, into these demographics that have never really been touched 
before. You know, we've tried it in the past, but I just really feel now, you know, with obviously with social media, with TV deals, with with TV, well, with TV pay TV in general, I think I think now is probably the right time than any to really grasp on an international stage. And I just want to make sure I make that clear. Is I'll always have a local heart. You know, I'm from the Jerangong Lions. I love Jerangong Lions to death. I want to make sure their teams like that are flourishing as well as uh, expanding our sport into all these different countries around the world. So that's a big thing on my list too is, is that. Mate, that's amazing. Like I said at the beginning, from Jerangong to Toronto and back to Jerangong again, mate. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I've got Literally one. Going full circle. <laughs> I've got one final question. Your family yep. absolutely love them. So look, you've got Ruan, who's been like a pioneer of modern day women's rugby league. Your sister CJ yep. plays a bit of gridiron as well. You're a very talented family, mate. The final question is, if Tarek is playing for New South Wales and Corbin is playing for Queensland, who are you supporting? Yep. Okay, so yeah, I've, I've been asked this now, mate. I've been asked this many a time over the years, and I think I've nailed it. I want Corbin to get man of the match in a losing team. <laughs> I love it. Is, I love that, it. is that what do you reckon? That is the perfect answer, <laughs> and I'm sure. And I've said it to, I've said it to Corby. I, I still don't think Corb understands it, but he just gives me his big, goofy smile, and I just sort of oh, I love him to death. He's a good kid. I love it, they man. All are. Can't wait to <laughs> can't wait to seeing you at some Dragons games at Wollongong next year, man. Hopefully, you bet, it's a good one. yeah, you bet, you bet. Cheers, Bash. Cheers, Mike. Well, that is full time on episode three of the official International Rugby League podcast, brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. It's our longest episode yet on this International Rugby League series, but I think it's been one of my favourites. I've had some great conversations. And if you've enjoyed the show as much as I have, then please remember to subscribe, share it with your friends as well, tell them about it. All of your feedback is welcome as well via International Rugby League and Chasing Kangaroos social media channels. I'll include those links in our show notes. Guys, I'm Michael Carboni. I'll be back next week with some of the leaders of rugby league in Europe to talk about World Cup qualifiers. See you then. podcast is produced as a collaboration with International Rugby League, formerly known as the Rugby League International Federation, and Chasing Kangaroos. I'm Michael Carboni, and this episode was mixed and recorded by Paul Murchison. Paul Murchison.